Are you looking for a talk show featuring leading global voices? Do you want to learn more about how international issues directly affect people locally? Global Connections Television presents the insights of global influencers at no cost to viewers and programmers. GCTV is independently produced and reaches more than 70 million potential viewers worldwide each week. The show covers everything from human rights to climate change, from peace and security to empowering women and girls. It features guests such as Dr. Jane Goodall, former UN High Commissioner for Human Rights Mary Robinson, and Peter Yarrow of Peter, Paul, and Mary. The show also hosts expert voices from the private sector, academia, and labor and environmental movements. GCTV is available to public television media outlets, universities, and service clubs for distribution. To watch the show or find out more, click the link in our episode description. Hi, I'm Casey Candela. And I'm Stephanie Fillion, and welcome to Unscripted. Today, France takes over the presidency of the Security Council at a major turning point in its foreign policy. It has announced it's scaling down its overall military presence in West Africa. We talked to the number two at the French mission to the UN, Natalie Broadhurst, about what it means, and to French political science expert Franck Petitville. This is Unscripted, a podcast taking you inside the United Nations and beyond the scripted debates to the people at the heart of it all, the diplomats and the reporters covering them. La poursuite de, de notre engagement au Sahel ne se fera pas à cadre in early June, France's President Emmanuel Macron announced a major transformation in his country's military presence in the Sahel region of West Africa. France isn't calling it a withdrawal, but it is ending the Operation Barkhane, an anti-terrorist effort launched in 2014 under then-President François Hollande. The decision wasn't really a surprise in France. The mission was struggling to prove its effectiveness, and there was public pressure in France for the government to change its approach in the Sahel, according to Franck Petitville. He's a professor of political science at Sciences Po University in Grenoble in southeast France. I think there has been a sort of uh, fatigue, I would say, about French military presence in Mali for now seven years with no impressive improvements on the ground with many casualties. I think that's more than 50 French soldiers died there with also what the military calls collateral damage. Recently, France has been accused of targeting a village and, and killing civilians where eventually no jihadist was really found among the victims. So I think this kind of fatigue of the French public opinion on all this external interventions, military interventions with no serious improvement on the ground. And the, the decision was already discussed a few months ago, before even the second coup intervened a, a few days ago in Mali. And of course, there is this dilemma, what, what's the use of trying to bring peace and stability and military support to a state which does not respect the devolution of power to civilians and with so much interference from the army there. And also certainly the fact that we are already into the electoral 
campaign for the next presidential election one year ahead. I think it put a lot of pressure on Macron on this. At the G7 summit in June, Macron said that France is not abandoning the region, but it is changing its strategy. That's the message echoed by France's deputy permanent representative to the UN, Natalie Broadhurst. The the announcement that we would transform the operation is is as an important uh, word. It's a transformation, not a withdrawal. I think the the level of commitment of France will remain very high. And uh, the idea is really to address the threats together with our partners from the G5 Sahel, together with them in the context of the International Coalition for the Sahel that France has, has really pushed and moved, I mean, and contributed directly. So the idea is not to withdraw, but to have a different kind of cooperation alongside the, uh, this coalition and within this context. So there will be a lot of discussion with the partners in the, which have already started. I think our military mechanism will be much more focused on maybe operational partnerships and cooperation. And it would be very gradual, the adaptation of the French presence to the situation. Uh, It would be really in the the continuity of the logic that has been discussed in the post-summit in January 2020 uh, and in Jamena last February. So, of course, we will, once again, we will remain committed. It's an absolutely priority for us to fight against armed terrorist groups. One concern arising from France's decision is that there could be a counterterrorism vacuum in the region. And it's unclear if the void left will be filled by other international missions. MINUSMA, the UN's peacekeeping mission in Mali, does not directly address terrorism, while the G5 Sahel and intergovernmental cooperation framework could be pressured to adapt its mandate of development and security to focus even more on counterterrorism. We'll be right back. Are you thinking of a career working for the United Nations or its agencies around the world? Is it your dream to serve in your country's foreign ministry, but you don't know where to start? We may have the answer. The Center for United Nations Studies at the University of Buckingham in the UK offers a master's degree in United Nations and Diplomatic Studies. The degree can be taken full-time over one year or part-time over two. Graduates will gain a firm grounding in the work of the WHO, UN peacekeeping operations, and the UN's Sustainable Development Goals. They will also learn about global political communication, develop negotiating skills, and write a dissertation on a UN-related topic of their choice. In addition to a high-level guest speakers program, they will have access to mentors with first-hand experience in the UN, such as Program Director Mark Seddon, a former speechwriter to UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon, and a former UN correspondent for Al Jazeera English TV as well as Lord Mark Mollick brown a former UN Deputy Secretary General. Applications for fall and January 2022 are now open. To find out more about the program, click the link in the episode description. Now, back to the show. Here's Franck Petitville on why friends decided to win the mission. I think we are talking about what, same with Afghanistan. I mean, well, for of course, a shorter period of time, but what has been called endless wars or endless external military interventions. 
And at one point, if there is no significant improvement on the ground, this has to come to an end. I mean, France has no specific legitimacy, but as a former colonial power to bear the responsibility of providing security for Mali for years. We, we may understand Macron's decision, especially after two coups in one year in Mali. So I think that it's a real dilemma because non-intervention sometimes may lead to situations like genocide. The international community did not intervene in Rwanda and we had a genocide. Basically, the Western countries did not intervene in Syria. And we had, in the end, about half a million civilians killed in this 10-year conflict with the vacuum occupied by Russia and Turkey. And this is a nightmare and raises the question of the effectiveness of the war on terrorism. I'm not convinced at all that, that sending soldiers on the ground is the appropriate solution to fight back small, very mobile groups of jihadists who are able to cross borders in a very big region, the Sahel region. And it's the same lesson that was wrong by, by the Biden administration after 20 years of fighting the Taliban, that in the end, you don't win. Macron's decision can be perceived as election-minded. It also shows his attempt at balancing France's presence in Africa while also trying to acknowledge the country's complicated history on the continent. France is also trying to work with its governmental partners on the ground, though in the case of Mali, it doesn't really have a partner right now, as the country suffered two coups d'etat in the last year. Macron's attempt to rectify France's role in Africa has been reflected in various ways under his presidency. Over the past few years, Macron has apologized for France's actions in Algeria and its role in the Rwandan genocide. For Petitville, this approach has to do with Macron's relatively young age, he is 43, but also his attempt to appeal to many segments of the French population. He's a pretty young president, so for example, what he has done to push forward apologies for Algeria or this investigation by historians on the French responsibilities during the, uh, the preparation of the genocide in Rwanda. He was very young at the time, so it's easier for him to go in that direction. He has less inhibition than his predecessors, and especially if, if you remember what Sarkozy said about Africa that was not has not come enough into global history, basically in this uh, very uh, famous speech that he gave in Dakar. Also, he doesn't have to give allegiance to the French socialists, for example. This is why he may taint, by his decisions, he may taint the memory of François Mitterrand about Rwanda, for example. So this is something that makes him a very uh, innovative, strong French president on, on the global stage, and I think that helps our relations with Africa. But at the same time, we have this tendency to think that we can intervene too much in Africa to help their problems. François Hollande uh, decided on two military interventions in 2013, one in Mali and one in the Republic of Central Africa. And Macron was tied by these decisions and he 
decided to keep on for more years in Mali, which now he's has just decided to end. So I think that Macron is kind of hybrid president. Basically, you have some influence from the goal with this idea that France has to lead Europe. Macron is always talking about Europe's sovereignty, whatever that means for a union based on 27 member states. And France, of course, is supposed to lead this union together with Germany. So there is this kind of influence from this goal. And in France, he's very much contested by the right-wing parties, by the left, by Marine Le Pen for the far right, and so on. So there is much uncertainty for the next election that he could duplicate his first election I mean, with, with such a huge majority. Some polls are quite worrisome. And so I think he has to pay attention from now on until the next election that every decision he takes in foreign policy should not have a negative effect on his presidential campaign for re-election. Ambassador Broadhurst believes that France's long history in Africa also means the country has deep and lasting relationships there. Well, if I start with Rwanda, because, you know, each case, each partnership, each cooperation, each relation with countries is quite different, even if you can't find common thread of, obviously. So I think President Macron, it's true, made a very strong and sincere gesture when he, he went to Kigali on, on May 27. It's, uh, it's really a recognition of responsibility. And, you know, he, he asked for, uh, to historians to lead this very in-depth research and analysis of the role of France in Rwanda between 90 and 94. And I think President Kagame himself recognized that um, it was really welcome. And to have this assessment of the past also is, is a very important step to move forward together and to open a new page and in, in the relation between the two countries. And there's so much that we already do and so much more that we can do together after this important, I think, milestone in our relation. And generally speaking, I think with Africa, you know, President Macron reminded it he had a very strong speech during his visit in Ouagadougou in 2017. I think he really addressed this very issue that, you know, Africa is so diverse, it's a strong continent, there's so much of our common future that is at stake in our, and we have so many challenges that we have to address together. So we have this very historical deep link and we want to cultivate and to build on that, to build on the strengths of these partnerships and to face together the challenges that, that we have, of course. And, you know, Africa and, and Europe, they are only 14 kilometers away from one each other. And when you talk about safety, uh, counterterrorism, but also on health or environment, you know, the challenge that we have to address and to face, they have repercussion in both continents, obviously. So I don't see any contradiction between the fact that we have to address some issues that could be an, an issue together and still see the future that we have to face in good cooperation, in solidarity, with a strong support where we can provide it. And that's what we do. And I don't see that as a very cross-cutting, comprehensive view of any file or any issue or any conflict. It's just on a one-to-one basis, on a case-by-case basis, I would say we address this with an approach of, you know, common understanding and trying to face it together and support each other and demonstrate solidarity wherever we can. We are likely to hear more on that topic in July, as conflict in Africa and the Middle East, with a focus on humanitarian action, 
are one of France's priorities for its council presidency. We'll be right back. I'm often asked what international affairs podcast I listen to, and I always recommend Global Dispatches. Global Dispatches is the longest-running independent world news podcast, published twice a week since 2013. It's hosted by veteran journalist Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch, who conducts thoughtful interviews with policymakers, think tankers, and experts around the world. The Guardian calls it a podcast to make you smarter. I agree. Global Dispatches covers issues ranging from conflicts and crises in Africa and the Middle East to long-term trends in global development and the latest geopolitical intrigues at the United Nations. I've learned a great deal from Mark's interviews over the years. If you like Pass Blue, you will certainly like Global Dispatches. You can find Global Dispatches on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, back to the show. Here's Ambassador Brothers on France's other priorities this summer. The first one is really humanitarian action. We have so many major crises aggravated by the COVID-19 pandemic. And it, each time, you know, the first victims are of the civilian population. And so we'll have to renew by July 10th the authorization of the cross-border humanitarian aid mechanism in Syria, for instance. This is a top priority for us. And we will also have a high-level meeting mid-July on preserving humanitarian space, which is under threat. Uh, we really want to identify measures to better protect humanitarian access, but also the security of humanitarian and medical workers. Of course, there would be a lot of peace and security in North Africa, Middle East, and we'll have a ministerial meeting on Libya. It's in a very important context in Libya, implementation of the Security Council resolution on monitoring the ceasefire. So it will be our minister will come for, for this ministerial meeting. And uh, we'll have also important meetings on Syria, Yemen, Lebanon, Middle East, there's also on the agenda a lot of meetings that are just provided by the Security Council resolution. So we'll have a meeting on DRC, uh, West Africa and the Sahel, Colombia, Darfur, Cyprus. And July will also be the month of the uh, La Fête Nationale. And we will celebrate that even if we cannot host a traditional reception due to the, the situation. But it, it, it would be a, a good milestone too. July is going to be a big month for France. Not only is the country leading the council, but it's also hosting the UN's Generation Equality Forum in Paris in early July. This is the second forum of its kind. The first was held in Mexico City in March. And the forum brings together governments, corporations, and civil society to secure commitments for gender equality. Both meetings had to be postponed for a year because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So France is looking forward to holding the event. We want to emphasize, I think, stronger commitments and very operational commitments. Uh, you know, everywhere the women's rights are under attack, and even in Western democracies, starting with the freedom for women to control their own bodies and the right to abortion. And we have so many inequalities in schools, political representation, everything, and they have not declined sufficiently. So the idea to push back is really at the core of this uh, meeting. We want to put gender equality at the center of the COVID-19 recovery. So I think we will present important measures that we took domestically, politically, internally. Our president had made gender equality such a priority that we have a lot to illustrate. And we can really also 
tech new objective, very ambitious objective, and we hope that all the head of states and governments will also make strong commitments, new commitments, of course, and operational ones. It's also worth noting that in 2019, France followed like-minded countries such as Sweden and Canada in adopting a feminist foreign policy. While gender equality is still a battle, France has adopted deep reforms in its judicial and political system in recent years to make the country more gender equal, which Frank Petitville believes can set an example for many others. If you look at the French Parliament, for example, we passed a law in 2000 on gender equality in politics that obliges political parties to present as many women as men in all elections. Now, women represent almost 40% of the members of the National Assembly in France, which is a huge improvement compared to the situation 20 years ago when they barely represented 12% of the assembly elected in 2002. But again, here, there is a room for improvement. Also, when you look at, for example, domestic violence, there is still a lot to do in France domestically. More than 40 women have been murdered in France since the beginning of the year, for example. So, And we could multiply the examples where France has as much to do domestically that what France promotes internationally. And this is something that is a striking feature of French foreign policy. I would say it's a bit critical in terms of how France has always promoted its role in development aid worldwide, for example, humanitarian assistance, and how France promotes human rights internationally and so on. There has always been this kind of discrepancy between this kind of very generous speeches, this kind of very ambitious diplomacy in all that has to do with human rights and democracy and promoting democracy and so on. And what happens domestically, ask the French uh, Gilets Jaunes whether they think that human rights have always been respected in France when the police was intervening in repressing demonstrations and so on. And at the time, the UN made some critical statements about how the French government dealt with the demonstrations. Dr. Petitville noted that France still has work to do on gender equality when it comes to its representation abroad. There are currently about 50 women with the title of ambassador in the French Foreign Service, out of 187. And that's high. Ten years ago, it was half that number. That includes the mission in New York where the top job has never been occupied by a woman. Natalie Broadhurst believes it is changing for the better, but there is still work to do. So when I applied for the job in Washington, I was the first woman DCM in Washington to be appointed. And here my predecessor was also a woman and she was the first female DPR here in New York. So it's, you know, it's making progress. To be honest, I didn't find my career to be limited within the Ministry of Foreign Affairs by the fact that I'm a female. Maybe, you know, sometimes you call that uh, men explaining or men uh, interrupting <laughs> in meetings, uh, you know, have noticed that, of course, as any woman in, in the work environments. But otherwise, the directors or the ambassadors, my bosses, all the ones who have really helped me in my career, have always been men. They have helped me as if, you know, there was no difference of treatment. And I really appreciated that. So I 
always think that I'm quite grateful that I didn't have to suffer from any kind of discrimination. That's it for our show. This episode was co-produced by me, Casey Candela, and Stephanie Fillion for Pass Blue, an independent women-led media site covering the United Nations and global affairs. Dulcie Leimbach is our editor. Ivana Ramirez is our intern. AI Digital created our podcast logo, and our music is by Poddington Bear. A lot happens at the UN beyond what we report in each episode of Unscripted. And Passblue is covering the important news, from women's rights to human rights to Washington's new approach to the UN. For day-to-day coverage, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And to subscribe to our newsletter, go to passblue.com. Past Blue's in-depth and exclusive stories and this podcast are possible with the support of the Carnegie Corporation of New York, the New School, and listeners like you. To show your support, visit Past Blue's website and click Donate. Unscripted is available wherever you find podcasts. If you like today's show, please rate us on iTunes and share with all your friends.